through hearing the word preached. We pray that your power and spirit would move among us, applying the word to each one and giving us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts to understand for your glory and for the good of all the hearers. And this we pray and ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, good to, good to be gathered together again, brother, and have our Bibles in our hands. And um, again, so thankful that God would not leave us here without his inspired instructions. Amen. As we, again, take up together this glorious, almost last portion of the book of Acts. And uh, as I said last week, we, it seems like we're almost saying goodbye to, to an old friend. We've been here almost three years in the book of Acts, and, uh, and uh, what did I say, almost a hundred sermons, and of course, that, you know, every once a month we have our other elder dean preach for us, and we've had some conferences and stuff like that, but when you consider all of just uh, the glorious truths that we're reading and hearing and seeing and understanding in the book of Acts, it truly is a glorious thing that God has given unto us. As we take up the sacred scriptures together once again, this morning, we find ourselves navigating towards the springtime of 61 AD in God's inspired timeline of history. And remember from last Lord's Day morning that it is indeed by the grace of, the grace of God that Paul and Luke and the other 274 souls who were aboard the ship that, uh, that was torn to pieces safely escaped to the shore and to the island of Malta, wherefore the remainder of the winter months... The Lord God is magnified. He's glorified in the eyes of the kind islanders. You remember what took place there, amen, uh, to begin with. They get on shore. Paul's bitten by a, by a serpent. And uh, all the superstitious islanders are looking at him, thinking that any minute he's going to blow up, he's going to die, and those sorts of things. And, and nothing happened. Again, providentially protected by the hand of God. And he then goes and heals then the sick uh, the sick man, the sick father, you remember that? He heals him totally and completely. And so, again, for these three months, and you look there at verse number 11. Again, Luke gives us these glorious, again, details concerning what's taking place. Look at verse number 11. After three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria. So, again, we see there, again, they, they set, sh- they, remember, they sailed, they took off, and, and uh, Paul warned them, I don't think we should go. And, and then we see, again, the sovereign hand of God as he's moving that ship along, his waves, his sea, his winds, getting them to Malta. And so the winter months now have passed, and now it's time again to set safely set sail. It is here in the springtime of 61 AD in which the Lord Jesus Christ promised to Paul that he would indeed preach in Rome is fulfilled in real earthly time. And again, this is again where it goes back to the promise of Christ. What did Christ promise him? What did Christ say? And again, we see this promise being fulfilled in real earthly time. Now, to help us really grasp really the relevancy and the needfulness of our text this morning. And again, brethren, the Bible is as relevant today as it is tomorrow, as it was back then, and is needful, and especially today in our own culture, brethren, as we as Christians are living in such a, such a place. I want to bring to your remembrance for just a moment, if you will, to help us grasp this. By the spring of 61 AD, I keep saying that, there's a reason why. 
that by the time the spring of 61 AD, Rome was well on its way, brethren, to piloting themselves out of existence by their own unholy hands. This is indeed a stunning thing to consider. The despots of Rome had usurped the power from the people. And I want you to think for just a moment. I remember about 10 years ago, I preached a sermon on Rome, on the city of Rome and the fall of Rome. And everybody in the church thought I was talking about America. You can see this glorious, just amazing sequence of events. And here again, we see the despots have taken now the power from the people. It was indeed began as a republic, if you will, a republic. This is what Rome began as. It's a stunning thing when you consider it. And now it has begun to, if you will, walk itself in the shadow of the valley of death. It is truly a stunning thing to consider. Rome had turned into a boiling cauldron of unbridled despotism totally and completely ungodly degradancy. We just think of it, godless, blasphemous, profane idolatry. Now think about this, brother, and again, as we consider our own nation, as we look at America, a once glorious republic that really is one of the greatest nations apart from Israel that God has ever delivered. And here we are, brother, and we really are as a nation in the shadow of the valley of death. We really are experiencing and seeing some things that are, it's just, it's almost unheard of apart from Rome. And you, you ask yourself, how do I know this? How do I know what Rome looked like? How do I know for sure precisely exactly what Rome was looking like as they were walking in the valley of the shadow of death? I'm glad you asked because brethren, now you remember Paul arrives in 61 AD. You and I have an inspired letter that was written, uh, dictated by Paul, written by Tertius, and delivered in 57 AD to the city of Rome. And again, this is how we know what they were dealing with. This is how we know what Paul was going into, brethren. It's an amazing, stunning thing when you consider that. And I want you to see here, this is four years. The book of Romans was written four years before Paul arrived here in 61 AD. And I want you to see again. Now, we've read this a thousand times. I've actually preached several sermons from Romans chapter 1. And you remember what we're seeing here. We are seeing the wrath of God's abandonment on a nation. And again, brethren, this is what Romans 1 is all about. You remember there's seven kinds of the wrath of God in Scripture. Romans 1 is the wrath of God's abandonment on a nation and what it looks like when God decides to give it up and to leave it to itself. I want you to turn Romans chapter 1. Look there if you would. Just again, we're going to read this because... I love to hear the word of God. I think, Howard, we were talking this morning in, in the bathroom. There's something, brethren, about the power of the word of God. Even though we've read these texts, we've heard these texts, again, brethren, as we read it again, as we listen again, as our ears are open to the word of God, May he again impress upon us. May he again take the word of God. May the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, take this word and just delve it deep down into our hearts. Because it's relevant. Because it's needful. Because, brethren, we are experiencing what Paul is writing about here in Romans chapter 1, even as we sit together in the fellowship this morning. And I want you to see something here, brother. And look at here, Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 15, again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us. The Bible says here, So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel uh, 
to you that are at Rome also. So Paul, four years later now in our text, it's 61 AD. Again, it's being fulfilled, but he wrote this in 57 AD. So he's telling them, hey, I want to come. I want to preach the gospel in Rome. That is his concern. That is what he is concerned about. Now listen how he describes as he's, as we go along in the text there. Look there at verse number 18. This is why he's concerned. He's not concerned about the social stuff of it. He's not concerned about many of these things. He's concerned about one thing, brother. And as I say all the time, there's only one thing that's going to rescue America. It isn't, if you will, politicians. It's not economic. It's none of that. It is the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone changes hearts. You and I can't change men's hearts, and we will not. But he can, and he does, through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Look here how Paul, again, four years earlier, is is writing in a letter under the inspiration of God, again, revealing to us what Rome had become. Look there at verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I know we understand what that means. To hold the truth is literally to press the truth down like a spring. You can envision in a car, right, the shock absorbers. They're, they're designed to push up. Men are pushing it down. This is what's going on in Rome. It has become a complete and total cesspool of unholiness. Look what he says there. The Bible says, verse 19, uh, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? They are without excuse. And again, brethren, we look out, we see the glorious order of creation. You cannot, you have got to be, some kind of Christ rejecter to look at the order of creation and the order of it all. We look at our children this morning and, and how they're created in the womb. Think of that, brother. And we come out and we got hands and brain, things that men can't even imagine. We still can't create just a hand. We still can't make a hand that works. God just simply spoke it, and there it is. It's together, this intricacy, if you will. But listen as he goes on. Listen to the text again. He's describing the city in Rome, if you will. And I want you to see there, we must be very careful here at verse number 24 as we jump down there again. They're holding this truth down. Creation tells them that, that God is, is true, that it is real. And verse 24, he says, Wherefore, God also gave them up to the uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. Now, brethren, again, he's describing immoral acts, immoral things that men have been given up to. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Just about the time you think it can't get any more unholy. <laughs> Men this morning, in their imaginations, come up with some of the most amazing, unholy, ungodly things that they can even begin to imagine. And Paul again here simply says, this is Rome. Look there if you would. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did exchange the natural use into them, that which is against nature. And again, I don't need to tell you what that is. And brethren, it's running rapid in our nation, in our country. It's a stunning thing. What What a mirror, what a reflection we're seeing of another republic that I believe, apart from God sending another gracious revival, is indeed walking in the valley of the shadow of death. And brethren, that's why Paul's concern when he gets to Rome, 
has nothing to do with the political part of it. It has nothing to do with the social part of it. It has everything to do with the preaching of the gospel because he knows the state that they're in, the unholy state that they are in, the only hope they have is the preaching of the gospel. John MacArthur said this, Into this melee of depraved and deprived humanity came the Apostle Paul, the messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his interest in Rome was not sociological. It was not economical. It was not, if you will, cultural. It was purely evangelistic in nature. Again, four years earlier, knowing exactly what he was going into, and God was taking him there. He didn't care about the economics of it. He didn't care about the political part of it. He was concerned, again, about the preaching of the gospel. Look what he says there in Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 16. We can quote these verses, brethren. We've read them so many times. But when you understand the depth of it, when you understand what God was leading Paul to do, Look at what he says there in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power, the dunimos, the dynamite, the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Where does that verse come from? That's an old, he's just quoting the Old Testament concerning faith. He says, if you, if you consider, and again, we don't have time this morning to exegete down deep into that thing, but you understand that Habakkuk wrote that thousands of years before Paul quoted it. It's a stunning thing when you consider it. This was his concern. So it is, brethren, this morning with this conspicuous context kept in our remembrances that we again turn to our text, remembering and keeping in mind the importance that Paul is placing as God puts him in real earthly time to preach the gospel in a place that is filled like that. If you go on in Romans chapter 1, he describes the children. Think of this, brother, for a moment. He describes the things that are all taking place in that area, and the only hope is the gospel of Christ. That's it. That is his concern. In fact, look there, if you would, at Acts chapter 28. Look at verse number 11 as we complete that verse. And after three months, again, they stayed there. They wintered in the winter months. We departed in the ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Now, it is interesting, brother, brothers and sisters, with the winter months now concluded, it is now safe to sail. So Paul and Luke board this Alexandrian ship that is headed for Rome. And it, brethren, it took about three seconds which is about how long it took me to read verse 11. It took about three seconds for Paul again to initiate and to again show us the depth of the sewer that they were actually swimming in. He names off Castor and Pollux. We're riding on a ship that has these foreign gods, these superstitious people who are turned, have not turned to, to the true God, have not turned to Christ. They've got Castor and Pollux hanging out on the front of their ship. Now, who were they? Well, they were superstitiously believed to be, it's an amazing thing when you consider this, the twin half-brothers, that they were twin half-brothers. Castor was believed to be the mortal son, if you will, of Tiderius, the king of Sparta. Well, Pollux was believed to be the divine son of Zeus, who was the Greek 
I call it false mythology God. He was the protector of all men, allegedly. Now, this is the ship that Paul and Luke are getting onto. This is how superstitious these people really were. And we saw it earlier in the book of Acts. Again, he's going to fall down. He got bit by the snake, this thing. And they're all assailing that to being superstitious. And this is the kind of people they are. In fact, the constellation Gemini, the twins, is named after them. It's a stunning thing. With its two brightest stars called Castor and Pollux, they were again superstitiously believed that they were indeed the patron deities of sailors and protectors of the innocent seafarers. If Gemini was seen, if Gemini, the two stars were seen during a storm, they superstitiously believed that it was a good omen to them while they were sailing. Now, again, brother, and again, it took him three seconds in our text to say, well, not only is, is Rome like this, but so is this city and that city and that city all along the way. Again, living very much in cultures, brethren, that we, that God has placed us in. And again, this is the most important thing. Brethren, listen to me. Instead of the church going with the wave and looking like the world, smelling like the world, tasting like the world, acting like the world, God has placed the true believer here. Right now, in a place and in a time, amen, for us to do what we're going to see Paul doing. And that, again, is to not be like them, to not be afraid of them, to not act like them, to not smell like them, but indeed to be true preachers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all of it. It isn't just the pastor. It isn't just the other elders in our church. It is you. It is me. When we leave this place, we permeate that sort of place, that kind of world. And again, brethren, we're here not to be entertained. I was telling, I was telling again this morning in a, in a prayer time with the elders, it appears that the Western culture thinks that the pastor is supposed to get up and just entertain you. That's not why we're here, brethren. Not by any stretch of the imagination. If you're concerned about the souls of your children, if you're concerned about the souls of your, of your, of, of, of your relatives, this is anything but a game and, and some kind of a thing that we're playing here. Because we are not. This is real, has real consequences, eternal consequences, brother. And this, again, is what we see in our text. It's a stunning thing. Now, look at verses 12, 13, and 14. Again, as we said earlier in our text, the, 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 uh, if you will, the ancients of old took this text and they literally used it for this is how one should ship. This is how one should travel. And again, great detail that Luke, under the inspiration of God, gives to us here. And again, verses 12, 13, and 14, he gives us great detail concerning, if you will, the day-by-day account of their maritime travels to Rome. Look at verse number 12 there. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came next day to Puteriel, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And we went toward Rome. Verse, if you will, I'm going to stop there. We'll take 15 up by itself. But again, this is what we see. So again, a very detailed, led by the inspiration of God, detail of Paul's travel, Luke's travel, those who were with him as they were traveling to Rome. So we consider verse 12, Luke tells us that they safely reached Syracuse, the port of Syracuse on the east side coast of Sicily, about 90 miles from Malta. So they've traveled about 90 miles since they left Malta now, day number one. And he says they stayed there for three days. Verse 13 says when they left Syracuse, 
They circled around about 85 miles to Regim, amen, which is at the tip. Now, if you can imagine Italy, he's going to Rome, which is in Italy. And so what you see, okay, brethren, listen, there's a little geography lesson here too. See, education is not just reading, writing, arithmetic. It is teaching the fear of the Lord. It is teaching all these things that come with this. But in that, we see a good, old, glorious, if you will, lesson concerning traveling. Amen? What an amazing thing the Bible is. What a stunning thing it is. It's just so glorious to read it, to hear it, to understand it, and to be able to teach it to our children and to those who come. What a glorious piece of scripture we have here. So they, they literally, they travel around the tip of the toe of the boot of Italy where they stayed for one day. Luke then tells us the following day, a favorable wind is blowing, and so they set sail again there in verse number 13. They traversed almost 200 miles with a favorable wind as they're heading to Rome, amen? And they get to Putelio, and Luke says in verse 14 that they found some brethren there. And again, brethren, please, there are so many lessons. There are so many things that we could certainly delve deep down into here. But one of the things that we see Paul doing, again, when they get there, they find the brethren. And we notice the scripture says that they spend seven days there, which again is something that draws our religious affection for sure. This was Paul's holy pattern. This is what Paul did. Again, we see the importance of the local churches. All right, We see the importance of how Paul placed the high priority on the local gathering. And again, brethren, it may come, there may come a day when we're gathering in my home or your home or someone's home. It's not about where we're gathering. It's about the church. It's about who, how we are put out, how we are put together. The polity of the church, the elders, the teaching, the singing, all of it. We could do this in Howard's house. We could do this in Dean's house. It's a matter of the church. And Paul, what does he do? He finds the brethren. When he lands in a city, he doesn't sit around in the hotel room hoping, oh boy, I hope everything's good. No, he seeks out the brethren. To meet with them. Why? Because he's going to preach the word to them. He's going to gather around the Lord's table with them. He's going to fellowship with them. And he's going to do these things that Acts chapter 2 tells the church to do. Now again, brethren, we live in a day, in an era. Now I'm getting old. I'm quite old now. I'm older than dirt. Brethren, things have changed a lot. A lot. The church used to be held in high esteem, even as a lost Catholic. My parents, on Wednesday night, sent me to catechism. That's where I went. And you know what? All the other churches did the same thing. They took and went and gathered for Bible study. They gathered on Sunday morning. Now, of course, the, the, the if you will, the desire that my parents had was to be saved through doing that. And we can't do that. We understand that. But... I'm saying even they had a higher view of the local church than most people do today. And this is a real problem. It's a real issue. Because again, as I say, oh, you guys are going to, you're probably going to drum me out by the time it's done. Because what happens is it becomes, if you feel like it, it becomes an option and it is not an option in scripture anywhere. If you're gathering and you're not with the fellowship, you should be gathering with other elders, other men who will lead the, lead the service. If it is in your home, even. 
This is what Paul did. I want you to see this. This is a glorious pattern. And again, brethren, what is the book of Acts about? What is the whole book of Acts about? It is indeed about how God established the early church and the patterns of the early church. And so therefore, when I look in the book of Acts, and we've been here again for almost three years, a hundred sermons later, it never changes. And you know what? We shouldn't change it either. We should be, if we say we believe that we're a people of the book, and brethren, I pray you are, then we should indeed look like, smell like, taste like, and act like they did here. That's the reality. Not like the world does. We're getting so mingled in. And brethren, may the Lord protect all of us from it. Again, if you are concerned like I am about my children's souls and about your children's souls, and as we homeschool, hey, isn't that great, guys? Tomorrow, July 31st, Homeschool starts at the Fix's house. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's just wonderful. Yay, Seth's over there. Oh, yeah. You must watch your children very closely. Protect them very carefully, brethren. What we're seeing here and what we're doing here is not a game. It is reality. You have an enemy. I have an enemy whom Peter describes as a roaring lion, seeking about who he may devour. You think the devil is just nonchalantly hanging out, doing nothing? If you go look at First Peter, we don't have time to go there, but if you go look, there's four action verbs that he's doing. Seeking whom he may devour. And brethren, the only thing that will protect your children, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older now, and brethren, our children are going to live in a place That's almost unrecognizable. That is so unholy, so ungodly, just like Rome. It's amazing. By the way, Sister Tina, your pastor is the one on that video. Can I just can I just say again? If you want to see a great video, Pastor John MacArthur has put out now, they're showing it now, I think, uh, something called the Essential Church. I would encourage all of you, write that down. Go see it. Go watch it. Tina's pastor from Canada who was arrested is in it. It's an amazing thing. It's stunning, brother. But you know what's coming? It's coming our way. You know why? Because the evil must get rid of the church. They must try to. They must try to get rid of what is holy, what is righteous, what is godly, what is good. And that's why we're here this morning. Hearing the word of God, reading the word of God, praying the spirit of God to sink it deep down into our hearts and into our minds because it's coming our way. And brethren, you must, as Paul instructed the church at Ephesus, you must have your feet shod the preparation of the gospel, the breastplate of rights, the helmet of salvation. I mean, all these things we must have this really as paul is again going into rome this is what he's seeing this is what he's understanding but he sought out the church and i want you to again just by way of pattern by way oh pastor mike's making that up no actually turn with me to acts chapter 20 again we were back here but again i want you to see this pattern this pattern of paul again waiting seven days that he might gather with the saints that he might gather on the lord's day that he might partake of the Lord's Supper with them, that he might preach to them. This, again, is 
what we see over and over again. Acts chapter 20. Look at verse number 6. Here we are again. You remember they're still sailing. Hey, he's just left Ephesus. Or he's in the process of, of doing that. And again, there's, there's Diana. There's the Shroud of Diana. There's the Temple of Diana. Again, all of this unholy culture. And Paul right here, look at verse number 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them at Troas in five days, where we abode how many days? Seven days. Look what he says. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continuing the speech until midnight. And remember, he preached a long time, roughly six or seven hours possibly. But again, the idea here is Paul. He's sailing around. Hey, when my family and I go on vacation, we go to Dickinson, or we don't go to a lot of faraway places. When we went to South Dakota last summer, what did we do, honey? I looked. Now, the Internet's good in so many ways, and it's bad in so many ways. I just looked up Reformed Baptist Church in, uh, where we weren't in Rapid, it was Pierre, South Dakota. No, not Pierre, Spearfish. Oh, hey, there's a Reformed church right there. Hey, you know what? The pastor was a graduate from John MacArthur School. And so guess what we did? Sunday morning, we got ready. We gathered together. We went to the church house, met on top of a building. It was the most amazing, cool thing. I mean, there was like a, a dress store or something below it. Right up there. There they were. We heard the preaching. We gathered with the saints. We broke bread. It was quite a beautiful thing. But this is what you do. Because when the local church is important and is held in high esteem by one, that's what you will do. Not stay at the hotel. Not swim in the pool. And there's nothing wrong with, with uh, staying at the hotel. But not on the Lord's Day. To look like them. You separate yourself. You look different. You are, brethren, if you're saved. What did the Bible call us? A peculiar people. That doesn't mean you're weird. It means that you are unique in the eyes of God who saved you uniquely through His unique Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect and sinless. That's what we are. We're different. And this is what Paul is saying by his examples. We gathered, we met, we did these things. In fact, if you look at Acts 21, verses 3 and 4, you'll see that he did it again. He absolutely does it again. He waits seven days, meets with the church, and then moves on. Now, look at here at Acts chapter 28 as we continue on in our text. <clears throat> look at verse 15. Look at verse number 15. So, there again, according to verse 13 there, they went on towards Rome. And verse 15 says, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to what? To meet us. The brethren who were in Rome came to meet Paul and his workmen. Look at here what the Bible says. Appii, forum, in the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Now, brethren, if there was ever a man who, who would thank God, Paul obviously did, amen, all the time, constantly with thankfulness. But Paul needed to be encouraged. And so what did the brethren do? The brethren at Rome, when they hear that he's coming, they leave Rome. Two actually, uh, if you will, delegations of believers, Christ followers. They head on down and they meet Rome, or they meet Paul there. It's quite, again, a stunning thing. These two bands of brethren from the church at Rome go. One of the bands of Christ's followers got as far as the Forum of Appius a small city about 40 miles south of Rome, a sailor's resting place. No one, brethren, listen, for it's debauchery and wickedness. Now, <laughs> some of us have had uh, some, some 
family members, some relatives who are in the military. Amen. And praise God for them. Amen. Praise the Lord for them. I had a cousin who was a sailor. And brethren, there's a reason why someone would say, well, they have a mouth like a sailor. Huh? Brother, Brother John or John Mark over here can relate to that. You can relate to that. Sailors brought about all manner of things. The lost ones, obviously, amen. And you see that. That's as far as the first group made it. The second group, as we see, if you look there, they made it as far as, uh, if you will, uh, um, Three Taverns. That was the name of it there, a small town about 30 miles south of Rome. Now you ask, why would the brethren leave Rome and go seek Paul? Paul's coming to Rome. Why would the brethren head out? They heard Paul's coming. They heard that he was in the city, and we're going to meet him there. Because, brethren, again, they were indeed thankful that the Apostle Paul was on his way. That the Apostle Paul was coming to preach the gospel unto them and unto their city. Not unto them, but unto their city. And I want you to see this. This is four years in the making. This is four years in the making. Look at Romans chapter 15. And again, brethren, this is why we have to let the scriptures speak to us. Amen. There's a lot of stuff flurrying around going on in the book of Acts. And you have to understand why these men were so excited that Paul was coming to Rome. Look at Romans chapter 15 there, if you would. Look at verse number 22. And again, brethren, these scriptures so beautifully tied together. Look at Romans chapter 15. Look at verse number 22. Now remember, this letter was sent four years earlier. So this is in their mind. This is what they're thinking about when Paul, when they hear Paul is coming. Look at verse 22. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having no more place in these parts, and having great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, which is what he's doing right now, he's taking his journey into Spain. Remember, these brethren read this four years earlier. And they hear that he's coming. Look at here, brethren, if you would. Verse 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will, come on, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way uh, thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But I go now to Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, which again, God called him over there. But he wrote this letter four years earlier. The men now have heard Paul's coming. He's right just to 40 miles away. And both bands of those men go to get and to be with Paul. To, if you will, safely transport him, bring him into Rome, into the city of Rome. However, brother, let me ask you something this morning. And again, this is, this is the stunning thing when you consider this. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted something, and when you got it, it wasn't quite what you expected? You ever had something happen like that? You ever wanted something just so desirously, and you, you get it, but it isn't exactly what you bargained for? It wasn't at all what you thought it was going to be? This is a stunning thing. Now, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was brought in <laughs> into Jerusalem on a donkey, and we call that what? That was his victorious march into Jerusalem. And a very short period of time later, those who were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, praising Christ, were part of the group 
who hung him on a cross just a few days later. Now again, brethren, these brethren are excited. But let me show you this. Again, when we pray for something, we ask for something. It may be more than what we bargained for. And again, I think here as we look at this text, as the Apostle Paul in his second imprisonment, this is his first one in Rome. He's released after two years. We know that. He then is again captured and brought into prison by, by Nero, where again it was very beneficial because we have several of his prison epistles that were written the second time around, which is glorious. Uh, we've quoted from, we've read from some of them in fact this morning. But I want you to see this. By the time Paul's life was coming to an end, I want you to consider this. This is only six years later. Okay? He arrives in 61 AD. This time that we're going to jump ahead to is roughly 67 AD. So that's my math. Well, you know, we don't do outcome-based math in, in homeschooling, so it's be six years. Right? One plus one is two. Two plus two is four. I mean, that's just how it is. Uh, but I want you to turn with me to some of the last words. The last eternal inspired words that were written by the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see a man who was welcomed and many people went as far as 45 miles to greet him when he was coming to Rome in the end. And again, this is an encouragement to us, to the elders here, because sometimes we get discouraged. Amen? You get discouraged as a pastor when people come and you invest in them. You invest time in them, and then they just depart the way. Brethren, for unbiblical reasons. There are biblical reasons to leave a fellowship, mainly theology, mainly theology, mainly the fundamental things. But people today, again, so fickle, they will just dart out on you and leave you there. There you hang. Someone who's invested, as my wife once said to me, it's like... We are disposable. It's like one becomes disposable. And you know what? The Apostle Paul felt that same thing. In fact, look at 2 Timothy, the very last, some of the very last inspired written words concerning Paul's life. Look at here. Look at what he says. Again, this is six years later now. Paul's second imprisonment. You know who's got him in prison. You know who it is, right? A little man by the name of Nero. And I want you to see this. Look at 2 Timothy. I've got to find it myself. Chapter 4, again, some of the last inspired words that we hear from Paul. Look there at verse number 9. Verse number 9. Keeping in mind this is his second imprisonment, Nero has him, and this is what happens. Verse number 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You remember what he said about Demas in Colossians, in, in Philemon. You remember what he said. He's a great fellow worker. But here he has departed and left, the Apostle Paul. It is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke, the faithful man who's been along all along the way, recording under the inspiration of God the very things we're reading. Only Luke was there. Take Mark, and remember Mark left? Mark was on the journey with him. He's, he's going, and Mark goes, wait, wait a minute, I bit off more than I can chew. I'm going to leave. This is not what I bargained for. And this is what we see again, brother. 
We see this. Thank the Lord that there was restoration. Thank the Lord that Paul indeed uh, encouraged Mark because we have the gospel of Mark because of Mark. The inspired gospel which we went through a few years ago. Stunningly, stunningly. But look what he says. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. And again, all these names we see written in the letters that Paul wrote about. Uh, The books, but especially the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, and the Lord rewarding according to his works. And again, brethren, (laughs) we talked about it in Bible study this morning. Oh, don't mention people's names. Yes, you better as a pastor, as an elder. If they're a heresy, if they're teaching ungodly things, you better warn the flock. This man, this is his name. Joel Osteen's his name. Andy Stanley's his name. Name them out by name. Because you must stay away from them. Paul did the same thing. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. And what does he say? Of whom be thou aware, Paul says. Be careful. Stay away from him. Because he's doing much damage. For he hath greatly withstood our words. Look at verse 16. At my first answer no man stood with me. But all men forsook me. That was his first imprisonment. Amen. And we're leading up to this one. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The first time, many believe, and I believe that was Nero. I believe this is the lion he's talking about. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he goes on, salute Priscilla and Aquila, who we met earlier in Acts. Salute this person who we met earlier in Acts. All these faithful brethren. But here, by the time, brethren, listen. There's a difference between saying, I will be faithful to the church. I will be faithful, whatever it might be to the man of God, to the men of God who are leading the church who, and being faithful to Christ first. But there is something about being faithful. If the men are faithful, then we should be faithful and be committed to that. But brethren, there's something about saying that, and listen carefully, saying that and then hearing the sharpening of the sword that is soon to take Paul's head off. There's a difference between saying, yes, I will be faithful, and then hearing that sharpening. This is what they heard. This is what they were seeing. You know how they heard it and saw it? I'm using that metaphorically. But they knew that Nero had grabbed Paul. You know what Nero's hands were full of? They were full of blood. You know whose blood they were full of, dripping with? His own wife and his own mother. He had both of them murdered. So if he's going to have mom and Howard use that example, brother, you should use me as an example next time instead of your wife. <laughs> you get into trouble when you say things like, I always shoot my wife. <laughs> but listen, when the sword is swinging over the head and you can hear it, that's, brother, when the Holy Ghost must indeed give you the strength and the power like you've never had. You can say, I'll withstand. I'll stand there. I'll be there. But will, but will you? When the old rubber meets the road, when it comes time, when they come marching in and arrest the pastors, they come marching in and start arresting people for gathering together in the Lord's house, will we then be faithful? There's only one way we will be, only one, and that is by the power 
of Christ. That is the power of the gospel. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Otherwise, we too. Now, I just want to say this concerning this brother. Many of the brethren at Rome, as I said, indeed, in a real sense, heard the sharpening of the blade that would soon remove Paul's head. Most of them didn't. And perhaps some could not. There may have been things that interrupted their close bond with Paul, but we know from the recording here, the inspired scripture, that most of them did not. And they left him there, but what does he say? As Wendy told me the other night, you've got to think about Moses, you know, when he's leading you know, the nation of Israel and those people who were you know, so, well, 40 days, we're going to go back. Hey, 40 days, we're going to make a golden calf. We're just going to follow a golden calf. That's what we're going to do. In fact, before we left Egypt, we had, you know, Pharaoh's leeks. Oh, yuck. God has manna from heaven that he fed them with. It's a stunning thing to remain faithful to the Lord. And we can't use Aaron's excuse. Remember it? I don't know. I threw this thing in and I'll pop this calf. No, brethren, that's not how that went. (laughs) That's not how that went. Things are not always, as we say, brethren, what we bargain for, but may the Spirit of God please empower us that we might indeed stand strong. Look at Acts 28. Look at verse 16. And again, we'll, uh, we'll bring this to a conclusion. Acts chapter 28. Look at verse number 16. Look what the Bible says. Finally, finally what we've been preaching about. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. Brethren, let me just say this. Here, the fullness of God the Father's time has come. The promise of Christ to Paul is being fulfilled. You remember chapters ago, Christ told Paul, you would indeed preach in Rome. And here he is. The Father's good timing brings Paul to Rome exactly as he was supposed to be at the exact time. This was a joyous moment for all, including Julius the centurion, who by the providential hand of God delivered safely all the prisoners. You remember now, he said he would and back in chapter 27, and this is exactly what's come to pass. Because Paul, as we remember, was a Roman citizen who still had not been charged with any hint, any scintilla, not even a smell of a, if you will, an insurrection against the Pax Romana. You remember we talked about, what's the Pax Romana. It is the peace of Rome. This is what they were trying to charge him with. And and not being charged, being a citizen, God, by by his graciousness, allows Paul not to be with the regular prisoners. He allows Paul to be a prisoner by himself, if you will, tethered to one guard, brethren, and the scripture says here, in his own house. Think of that for a moment. What's so glorious about that? Why would we think and consider that that was such a glorious thing? Well, if you look at verses 30 and 31, look there if you would. 
And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no man forbidding. Now, brethren, that is a providential working of God. Paul, we're just going to put you over here in the rented house. We're going to have one soldier that's going to be tethered to you because you are a Roman citizen. And number two, you have not been charged with any kind of insurrection against the Pax Romana. And brethren, the fruit of that. And again, brethren, we must always think, what is God doing? What is God working out? We may not always know it, but we know that God is working in your life, your perfect life. Whatever it might be, we do not know sometimes. In fact, it's an amazing thing. Because in Philippians, if you would just quickly flip there with me. Philippians chapter 1, and we'll, we'll finish this up. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 1. You say, well, Luke records here that you know, Paul's held as a, as a prisoner, not like the other prisoners, but with the Roman guard. And uh, Paul now, as he writes this, Philippians was written during this custody. The second custody, when he was in, under Nero's charm, he wrote some other ones. But Philippians was writ right now during this two-year period of time. And look what Paul says. Look here, if you would. Look at verse number 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. See, that's Paul's concern. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all the other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So again, brethren, Paul's the prisoner. What is, what is the fruit of Paul's prisoner? What is the fruit of this as Paul is there? Well, number one, the, the gospel is being preached to all the Roman guards. In fact, it's going into the palace. Not only that, and again, brethren, this is what many brethren miss. Again, the church, the gathering, is not some kind of a thing where you're entertained. It is something that the Lord uses. Your gifts are used to encourage me. My gifts are used, used to encourage you. If we can get that into our mindset, that it isn't just about me, it's about what I'm doing to my brethren. What did Paul say? He's a prisoner. And look at the preaching of the gospel for two years. Goes right into the very hallways of the palace. The Rome, can you imagine being that Roman guard? Paul every day. This is what the Bible says. Every day, no one constrained him. He just simply preached concerning the things of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, this is what he heard. And again, that gospel traveled through the hallways of the palace into the Romans' guards' ears and all of these places. Again, brother, God's glorious working of his glorious plan, we, we cannot even comprehend it. We can't comprehend how great and glorious this really is. One little incident in Paul's life. And look at the fruit of what God is doing. It's a stunning and amazing thing as you consider that together. Now, let's just read verses 17 through 20 together. Acts chapter 28. Because again, as we bring this to a close, we see some very relevant and needful portion of Scripture for us to glean some glorious practical use of the Scripture this morning, brethren. Look there, if you would, verse 17. Acts chapter 28, look at verse number 17. It came to pass 
that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Again, when we, if we could go back, we can't. You go back and see again the providential hand of God. Just like Jesus, right? Six trials Jesus had, three from the Romans, three from the Jews, not guilty in all three of the Roman trials, guilty in all the Jewish trials. Again, God delivered him to the Romans, and they say, we have fine, nothing wrong with this guy, and, and, we're, and I'm protecting him as he goes to Rome. And again, this is what we see. Verse 18, who when, we had examined, who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that uh, I ought to accuse my nation. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, to see you, to speak to you. Brethren, listen to Paul's language. Again, his never-ending. This is what's so amazing, again, as we have seen his pattern of meeting with the church after the Lord saved him. There was also this pattern. You remember what he said in Romans chapter 10. Again, brethren, my prayer to God is that Israel might be saved. His ongoing, never-ending concern for his Jewish brethren. This is what he's talking about. He first, again, in every pattern, in every city he would go, where did he go? First, to the Jews. He would go there and say, I am preaching unto you the hope of Israel. The Lord Jesus Christ. You know the Messiah? The Messiah that you're looking for. The one that Isaiah spoke of. The one that, 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 that all the prophets spoke about. This is him. He is the Israel of God. He is coming. He's here. He died. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. He shed his blood to save a people unto himself. He, Paul says here again with his language. Look there carefully as we read it. As we read it again there. Look at verse Number 20, for this cause, therefore, I have called you to see you and to speak with you. Why? Because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound in this chain. Brethren, he calls them men and brethren again, his Jewish brethren. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm bound. I'm here to tell you about the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the anointed one. He who Daniel and Isaiah and all of these prophets spoke about. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm in chains. And again, as we bring this really to a conclusion, he knows that the preaching of the gospel is their only hope. Their only hope and glory and salvation. This is what Paul knows. This is what we have practically learned from our text this morning. Again, keeping in mind that we live in a very familiar place. We live in the same kind of culture that Paul, when he ended up in Rome, is in. And you know what, brethren? Just as a practical point, let us close. Paul was wading into, as J. Mac, John MacArthur said, into a melee of depraved and deprived humanity. When we leave here today, brethren, I promise you, you too are going to the same place. We're leaving the safety of the fellowship to go to work tomorrow, to be a part, be in the world, but not of the world. And brethren, listen to me. We as Christians, we go as the messengers of Christ. 
We really do. And our interest, brethren, in America is not sociological. It's not economical. It's not. It is not cultural. It is indeed purely evangelistic in nature. We must understand that. The next politician is not going to save America. The next president, in fact, somebody please find me one who doesn't believe in killing children, and I'll vote for him. Find me one. Because all of them are sold out. It's not about what they're going to do for us economically. What are they going to do for us morally and in a sense of Christian likeness, Christ likeness? That's our only hope. We have no other hope. There is nothing else. In fact, let me close how I started. Look at Romans chapter 1. We'll read it together again. Romans chapter 1, where we know 13 times Paul mentions the gospel. But I want to close with this. Keeping this in mind, brethren, as we leave. Well, we're going to gather around the Lord's table, but look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. This is what we do. This is why we were saved, because someone preached the gospel to us. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Brethren, this is where we go tomorrow. This is what we do. This is why we were saved. Not to put on a dog and pony show. Not to necessarily make people feel good all the time. It's okay to laugh and have joy. We have that in our home. Wendy brings that. Old stickler Mike, he kind of walks around like an old stick in the mud kind of a thing. But... You think about this, brethren, the importance of what we're talking about. It's eternity. It's the souls of those around us. This is what Paul was concerned with. This is what his thoughts were. And this is what he considered as he went. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we again rejoice in the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the practical lessons that we've certainly gleaned from your word this morning. The power of the gospel. How men have not changed one iota. Therefore, we should not ever, ever trifle with the gospel. Try and become, if you will, more worldly. Like Spurgeon said, when your church becomes worldly, you fill the church with worldlings. That's not what we are, who we are. We are a people who have indeed been saved by your grace. We have indeed been justified. We've been declared righteous. We have indeed had the righteousness of Christ and his work imputed to our accounts. We cannot work for that. We cannot earn that. That is a gift of God. And Father, we are so grateful for that. So thankful for that. Are you, you know what? If I could use just an example from yesterday.
I don't like